hand clap of praise. Thank you, worship team. Go ahead and take your seats. We've got only a few short remaining moments together. When the Ten Commandments were given from heaven at the foot of Mount Sinai, the people of Israel were camped all around the mountain. Of course, God came down in His majesty and in His glory in a cloud of smoke and fire and the visitation of angels. And it was a noisy and shocking and scary affair. We know that because all of the people of Israel that had been told, as you leave Egypt, you're going to get the opportunity to encounter God and come close to God and know Him. But when they got to Mount Sinai and they saw the appearance of the divine, they freaked out and they ran back and they said to Moses, you go relate to God for us. We know we're going to die if we come near that thing. You don't always see God that way, do you? Because we're New Testament people, aren't we? So we're used to coming near God and His love and in His grace and in His mercy, which of course we can do because the sacrifice of Jesus bridged the gap between God who is sacred and us who are unsacred called to be sacred, called to be His image bearers, called to be reflectors of God, called to be recipients of His very person within our human selves, to reflect it outward to others, called to express the vibrant love and beauty of God to the human race. And of course, we fail miserably, don't we, all the time? And God sent Jesus as a solution, as a sacrifice that cleanses us from the power of This thing called sin, this power of missing the mark and failing to live up to the glory of being an image bearer of God's. To set us free from the power of that thing that has had a hold over us our whole lives. To set us free from the pollution of it. That thing that that not only uh, seems to have a power that many of us can understand. The Apostle Paul's writings when he wrote to the Romans and said, The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And every single one of us reads that and goes, "Amen, Amen, Pastor Paul. Do we? Is it just me? And Jesus came to cleanse us from the pollution of that thing that seems to have us as victims of an invisible power that even our own volition struggles to overcome sometimes. And then, of course, he came to save us from the punishment of sin, that we could live a life in peace with God, not fearing future judgment, because we can look back to the cross and say God's judgment of sin happened on the cross, and we are set Free, who can give me an amen that they're grateful for the life of Jesus. And God has a dream. God has a dream that he would be in close, personal, intimate relationship with people from every tribe, every tongue and every nation on planet earth. That every man, every woman, every child would know God as in an intimate relationship. The God who wants to be so close that the best metaphor he offers for himself is breath, spirit. In the Hebrew, the word for spirit is the word ruach, breath. In the Greek, the the Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma, breath. And that is God's picture of himself to us. Like you breathe in air. God wants to be so close that you metabolize him to the very fibers of your soul. And he has a dream, not just that it would be for the select few or the special someones that jump through the right hoops or follow a little bit of religion, but actually that every person on planet earth would come near to God and enjoy finding the truth that the gospel reveals to us, that our source of life is in God, our source of joy is in Jesus, the source of our soul, the energy basis for living the fully alive human life comes when we are connected to the author of life. Can I get an amen in the house? God has a dream. And that is why the author to the Hebrews says with a hint of no small celebration. You have not come 
to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. You have not come to darkness and gloom and storm. You haven't come to a trumpet blast. You haven't come to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words would be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. He said, you have not come to a mountain, but listen to what he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant whose blood speaks something better than the blood of Abel. We have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion. You know, for much of human history, the word Zion has been relegated to a little place in the Near East on a map. A little place between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. A little place between the Euphrates and Tigris rivers and the Nile Delta region. A place on a map. But here is the thing that is amazing about the dream of God that began in eternity past. Paul said that God had a plan before he laid the very foundations of the earth. That God has planned something for such a long time. Listen to this. The plan predates time. And his plan was not for a place called Zion. Are you ready for it? for a condition called Zion, a condition. When you say yes to the gospel, you become a citizen of the spiritual reality called Mount Zion. Life with God, life in the kingdom of God, life as a new creation being, life lived redeemed, in Paul's words, justified, in Paul's words, having been made just by God. It's a kingdom life. Jesus said you can only get that if you're born from above, that we'll all have an earthly birth. But it's like we need a spiritual birth. We need something from outside our own frame of reference to come and bring us into this brand new world. And the brand new world the author to the Hebrews celebrates calls it the city of the living God, Mount Zion. You haven't come to a mountain that can't be touched. You've come to Mount Zion. Who's glad to be in Mount Zion this morning? By the way, not because you're in church. Not because you're in the church. Because you are the church. Man, it annoys me when, when um, you know, I, I don't know, I probably say this myself in shorthand sometimes, but, but when we say, welcome to church today, because actually church isn't something you came to, church is something you came as. That's such a great point, but that's a terrible response, so I'm just going to move on. You have come to Mount Zion. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And in every page of the New Testament, friends, you and I are called to be those who learn to live with our eyes open, to live in two realities at once. I live this earthly reality. I'm a resident of Alice Springs. How about you? Where are you from? But I have a different reality that does, defines me beyond the physicality of my geography. And that is the condition of Mount Zion. 
I'm a resident of two places at once. Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I have to learn to live like Paul said to the Ephesians, that they live in in, in Ephesus on the one hand, but they are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus at the very same time. And the life of the disciple is the life of having our eyes open to see the fact that we should be very, very acquainted with the Ephesus we live in. But we should be very, very acquainted with the spiritual Mount Zion that we are part of. And for the most part, we're more familiar with Ephesus than we are Mount Zion, friends. Because we spend a lot of our time here, don't we? And the life of the disciple is learning to recondition our responses, recondition our desires, recondition our thoughts, recondition our words, recondition our serving, recondition our acting, that we would be those that represent the heavenly city, not just those who fall in line with the earthly city. Now, the two temptations of the church have been to completely flee the earthly city and run to the heavenly city. Escapist theology. How many people do you know, they just look out the window at the big bad world and then shut the blinds and put on their darling check CD, shut the door and pray, oh God, please let me be raptured soon. Or how many people do you know, you're just playing, oh God, please let them get raptured soon. (laughs) For too long, the church has had escapist theology. Oh, we don't mix with the world. We don't get involved with politics. Oh, we don't, get, we don't follow a career. Oh, because we see the Christian life as just watching the timer run out until we escape off to heaven in the great by and by. Let me tell you something I say often, but I say it without apology, because it is the core of the worldview pr- promoted by the New Testament. The Bible says more about heaven coming to earth than it ever does about you going to heaven when you die. I'm going to say it again. The Bible does talk about heaven, about you going to heaven when you die. Praise God, that's what we get to do. We have confidence beyond the grave. We have confidence that transcends this physical life. Confidence that makes us love not our own lives unto death. But more than you going off to heaven, escapist theology, the Bible promotes a worldview of excitement about the fact that the people of God are called to bring heaven to earth. It's exactly why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are those who live on earth as it is in heaven lifestyle. He did not teach them to pray, oh God, let me go to your kingdom where your will is done so I can escape earth. Heavenly reality, superimposed over earthly reality. And we are people whose job it is to live at the intersection of both of those moments in time. That is why Paul could say of the church and of Jesus that Jesus in his resurrection and his ascension to heaven was placed far above all principality and power. Those are spiritual and sociological forces. And Paul said that in his resurrection, Jesus' sovereignty was earned and his vindication by God granted him the title of Lord of the cosmos, Lord of the universe. And that even every sociological power, even every spiritual power was subject to the wonder of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, and God raised him up and seated him in heavenly places and gave him to be the head over the church. And what is the church? This is what Paul says. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Too many of us, our prayer life is filled. God, come and fill this place. When God is saying, church, you go and fill that place. 
We're waiting for a move of God. God's waiting for a move of us. That is why we do things like Mission Month. That is why we have global partnerships and local partnerships. We don't do it because we need a snazzy marketing campaign. We don't do it because we've got to find some way to get you to give a couple more bucks to the church. We do it because we believe in something radical, that we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, citizens of Mount Zion. And God has a dream that even the enemies of God would be at home in His kingdom. The sons of Korah. Have you heard of that that band? They come from about 1,000 BC. There's probably another modern one named after that, no doubt, that the old people know. The sons of Korah were psalmists, and in Psalm 87, they understood that in the worship of God, you can imagine the absolutely unimaginable. And they, in their worship, began to cotton on to God's dream for humanity. Listen to what they said, Psalm 87. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I want you to think about this because Paul said, sorry, the writer to the Hebrew said, you haven't come to a mountain that can be touched. You have come to revision. I know it's a hard thing. You haven't come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. And the sons of Korah in their worship, a thousand years before Jesus walked the face of the earth, they logged on to the wavelength of the divine. And in their worship, they imagined something that was unimaginable to anyone living in a thousand BC. Literally, listen to what they said. Glorious things are said about you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. And Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion, it'll be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will write on the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Do you understand what's going on here? In 1000 BC, it was unimaginable unimaginable to anyone who lived in geographical Zion. It was unimaginable of them to imagine that God had such a radical dream. I'm going to tell you what the dream is, okay? That he would look around the nations. And so you get a laundry list here. You get a laundry list of nations. And the, the worshippers, they, they, they cotton on and they understand. It's a glorious word spoken over the city of Zion. The city of God. It's this very psalm that caused Augustine to write his treatise called City of God, a a cornerstone of Western philosophy, by the way. And he gets it from this psalm. It was unimaginable for them to imagine that those who were the so-called enemies of God would actually become citizens of God's country. Citizens of God's country. Now, we have a very multicultural church, and if you've ever had to migrate to another nation, You know just how difficult it is, right? The the hoops to jump through. We've got many people in the church who are constantly praying that they'll get citizenship or that they'll be granted residency or that their families will get visas here. 
And we've all walked through the pain, haven't we, of, of people that we would love to see naturalized into this nation so we could stay and do life and relationship with them. And around the world, this thing called immigration is such a controversial topic, isn't it? As nations walk the tightrope of balancing how compassionately do we open our doors to those from nations that are not our own, and then how much self-interest and how much self-protection, how high do we raise the walls, how hard do we make it for people to come and naturalize into our nation. And it's controversial, isn't it? And in fact, if you walk with people going through this journey, it's downright heartbreaking, downright heartbreaking. And if you think it's bad in today's world, jump in a time machine and, and go back three and a half thousand years. Because three and a half thousand years ago, it was unimaginable to anyone who lived in the nation of Israel that this laundry list of people would become naturalized citizens in God's country. In fact, the prophets, there are multiple voices in the prophetic texts in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and these desert mystics as they prayed would, would, would survey the landscape around them and discern what God was saying. And some of the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel, they, they have more of a combative hint of flavor when it comes to the way they view the nations. And they view the nations because often, especially the ones on this list, usually were responsible for persecuting the nation of Israel. They'd capture them. They'd go to war against them. They'd kill them. They'd take away their sons and their daughters as slaves. They'd come in and invade and steal their grain and all sorts of stuff. So this list of nations represented in this Psalm 87 text represents a list of the most unjust enemies of God's people who are responsible for the most injustice, responsible for the most murder, the most enslavement, the most death. You can't get a list of people that the people of Israel would be more afraid of than this list. And so the Old Testament prophets give you some exciting prophecies, prophecies of judgment, prophecies of people being smited or smitten or smote. What's the past tense appropriate verb? God will come in his righteousness and judge the wicked and all the innocent, the victims of injustice, will stand there and look on and see the reward of the wicked. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? But the sons of Korah, in their worship, a different vision is birthed, which is the cornerstone of Christian mission. And that is not that God is coming with a sword of judgment and not that God is coming to smite the wicked. This is the difference between us and God. Because in the sons of Korah worship, they knew when you worship Jesus, you can imagine what is unimaginable. And that is that those that are the furthest away from God can be brought near to God. Can you think about that? I will record Rahab. Now, I know when you hear the word Rahab, you're thinking of the story of Rahab the prostitute, right? What a great story. A woman who is not part of God's family being joined into God's family. But that's not what this word Rahab in this text means. Rahab. Rahab. It's, Rahab is a chaos dragon from the ancient Near East. The, the image of this beast that every now and then comes up from an abyss and enslaves people. And in that world, three and a half thousand years ago, when a war broke out or a famine broke out, or injustice broke out. Someone came and took your family as slaves. You would visualize that. The chaos dragon, the demonic spirit Rahab has come and done some chaos in my life. And, and it feels like that, doesn't it? How many people know our lives can just feel like they're overwhelmed by chaos sometimes? And the people of Israel, they knew actually, we don't see a dragon that comes and invades us and takes our families and takes our grain and creates famine and war. But Egypt was doing that regularly back then too, the people, especially to the ancient Near East annexing everywhere, colonizing, taking over. So in the 
poetic parlance of the people of Israel, they began to cease using the word Egypt. And when they talked about the Nile Delta region, they used the word Rahab. Because to them, everything that was Egypt represented that demonic chaos dragon, Rahab. So think about what the sons of Korah are saying. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab among those who acknowledge me. If you knew the history, man, like me, you'd say I'm far more comfortable with vengeance. I'd be far more comfortable with judgment. But the sons of Korah in their worship, they came close to God and they imagined what is simply unimaginable, that for God, healing is the best justice. Imagine a God that takes the most evil oppressor on the face of the earth and says, I will heal where you are broken and you will become a child of mine. Isn't that, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. And Babylon, that great seat of the Babylonian empire, modern day Iraq. And God looks at Iraq and says, you will be called my child. An Israelite could never imagine Babylon. They could imagine Babylon being brought to their knees. They could never imagine Babylon being welcomed in as a citizen. Jesus marinated himself in this text. It's how he learned to say things like turn the other cheek and love your enemy. And in fact, in a world that bathes in the blood of its enemies, Jesus pours out his blood for the enemies of God, of which you and I were, to bring us near to God. And God's vision is for a world that is flooded with his healing and his beautiful justice that makes friends out of enemies. Isn't it wonderful? He says, among those who acknowledge me, Philistia. Ever heard of Goliath of Gath? The Philistine? The uncircumcised Philistines. When my daughter was two, two and a half, she came and sat under the table in a Bible college lecture I was giving in the Old Testament survey. And we were studying the Philistines at the time. And we read of David's battle against Goliath where he said, you uncircumcised Philistine." A couple of weeks later, I didn't, you know, I thought she was coloring in her My Little Pony coloring in book. I didn't feel like she'd done anything. And then we're driving along in traffic and a cyclist, God loves, God bless the cyclists, cut me off, causing me great fear and panic and palpitations. And I went, oh, what are you doing? And my daughter from the back seat yells, you uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> so if you train a child in the way they go when they're old they won't depart from it so she's got a license now so just be careful all you middle aged men wearing lycra the Philistines one, the Viking nations that invaded the ancient Near East and, and, and the sons of Korah said even they will be recorded as citizens of Zion can you imagine it's, it's a re-visualisation of history imagine Goliath being saved Imagine Goliath losing his head over Jesus instead of losing his head. And Tyr, Philistia will come in. Tyr, Tyr was the Hollywood of the ancient world. It was the seat of trade, of diamonds and pearls, a, a centre for slave trade. If, if you were rich or powerful or elite or somehow amazing, you went to Tyr to do your commerce. This text is like saying, Hollywood will do the work of God. And most of us would go, Really? I mean, I know Dwayne The Rock Johnson is an attractive man, but really the work of God? Hey, Danielle, Mother's Day reference for you. 
And Cush, Cush, <laughs> Cush is Ethiopia. And there's nothing surprising about Ethiopia coming to God other than to the sons of Korah that were worshipping in the temple. That if they thought of the ends of the earth, the extent of the known explored regions of the world in the day were to Ethiopia. And so Ethiopia was literally as far away as you could possibly conceive if you lived in 1000 BC. No one had ever been beyond there. That's why you don't hear about Germany or you don't hear about Australia. And when they say, even the Kush, what they really mean is even people on the other side of the planet, unimaginably far away, and we couldn't imagine how they would get there. But God would say, even they are my children. Isn't that amazing? Because in worship, you can imagine the unimaginable. Listen to what He says. And I will say, this one was born in Zion. And that one was born in her. And the Most High will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. So imagine if immigration changed from, we'll let you into our country and we'll tell you you're allowed to live here and we'll extend you the social benefits. Okay, imagine that. Okay, we can imagine that because we see that all the time. This is how radical the vision of the sons of Korah is, that God doesn't let you migrate to His country. God says the only way in is through birth. But God is so sovereign and God is so powerful that when a person turns to God in heaven, a new birth certificate is created. And God never says, you've moved here. God says, you you were born right here. You were born in my kingdom. I've got friends, many of you are in the room who were born in other nations and have moved here. And many, many of your children, if not yourself, have confided in me about the pain and the awkwardness of being of either non-Indigenous or non-Caucasian appearance. And having someone say, where are you from? And saying, Australia, mate but maybe the pigmentation of your skin or the obvious genetic ancestry that you come from causes people to draw conclusions by viewing externals. Maybe you're not from around here. It's painful, isn't it? It's painful. And even in a church that's a wonderful multicultural church, we're all the time learning to reflect the nature of God, that the kingdom of God is made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. But God goes one step better. And He doesn't say, you can move to my country. God says, no, 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 no. Were you born in Egypt? Were you born a child of the dragon monster? Were you born in Babylon, the seat of empire? Born in Tyre, born in Hollywood, born in the seat of, of, of slavery and ungodliness and wealth and riches and immorality? Were you born further away than anyone could imagine and no one even understands where you came from? Were you born in Philistia, the nomadic biker gang Vikings of the ancient world of no fixed abode but like swarms of locusts just went around and, and wearing out the landscape through butchery and slavery that's why they went to war against the Israelites so much were you born in Philistia Goliath nah God has a dream God has a dream your life will be redefined by a birth in Mount Zion and you haven't come to a mountain that can't be touched. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the city of the living God. 
And all of the Old Testament saints echo in unison and they say, and it is beautiful in our eyes that God takes those who are far away and brings them home. And that God takes those who everybody would look at them and say, they must be far from God. They must be the enemy of God. And God says, no, you know who they are? They're my kids. They are born right under my roof. Isn't that amazing about the dream of God? Isn't that amazing about the heart of God, friends? Can I tell you something? It's more than just a dry theological truth. This is a truth that changed my life. You know, for 24 years, I lived as someone born into a violent home, born into abuse, born into isolation, born into anxiety, hiding under the house, under the the floorboards of our house. When I was two and three years old, listening to the screaming and the thumping and the pots and the pans getting thrown around upstairs and soiling myself in fear, a habit I didn't grow out of till I was eight or nine years old, because every time I would get a fright, it would just, everything would let go. The neuroscience behind it is compelling. I was born into anxiety. I was born into trauma. And then when I became 11 years old, I discovered that I could drink away my pain and then I could smoke away my pain. By the time I was 14 years old, I could snort away my pain. And I was born as a child of dysfunction. And I was as far away from God as you can imagine. But praise God, because God is writing in the register of the peoples. And He looks at me and says, Ben, you weren't born there, man. You are born in Zion. When you say yes to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know your story. I don't know your story. I don't know where you were born. But I do know this. God has a dream. Here's a dream to issue you a brand new birth certificate. If you've said yes to the gospel, He has already done that. And maybe you just need to sit in this little reminder today that you are part of the dream of God, that you are not defined by geography on a map. You are not defined by your genetic history. You are not defined by your earthly reality. But actually in the gospel, a new spiritual reality superimposes itself over our lives. And you can say, I am a citizen of Zion. I am born in Zion. God has written me a birth certificate and I now am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, I've been walking this out for more than 20 years and it has dramatically changed my life. It's put our family on a whole new trajectory. We didn't have kids. Thank God we didn't have kids before we we found Jesus. And our kids grow up in a world I never saw, man. You know what? My kids grow up in Mount Zion. That's why. They serve with you and they serve alongside you. And many of you are mentoring them and discipling them and influencing them through your lifestyles. It's not always good, so fix it. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, And we together are living out a story that transcends our gathering today. And that's why we do mission. We do mission. We do mission month because we believe in the dream of God. And you are welcome to join us in the dream of God. And if you've never said yes to the gospel, then today's a really good day for you to say, man, wherever I've been going to, wherever I've been coming from, I could draw a line in the sand of my life today and turn around and say, God, my answer is yes to the offer of life in Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room this morning. I'm going to close this service with a prayer. Firstly, I want to pray for those in our midst The only way I could say it is that you're feeling unfruitful. You're feeling ineffective and your heart and soul is gripped. Surely there's more to life than this. You're a Christian. You're a Jesus follower. But you feel like you're not living out of the fullness and you feel like you're going through the motions of the Christian life. If you're doing that, 
Worst case, you just feel like you're failing. Best case, you're just coasting. But you know, in your heart, God's dream resonates. It resonates. And you wanna be part of the work of God. You wanna reflect Him with your life and love Him through your actions. Shine Him through your interactions with other people. And so today in this short time together, God's Word has resonated with you to remember your citizenship, my brother, my sister. Remember where you come from. You come from Mount Zion, man. And maybe the speaker channel of planet Earth has been turned up a little too loud and the volume of Mount Zion has been down a little too low. But today you know, God, I'm, I'm turning up the Zion volume. I'm turning up channel Zion, man. I pray for you, my friend. I pray the realities of the gospel would impact your soul, would impact your service, would impact your hunger. I pray where you'd feel like you need direction, that you would come and talk to someone, come and and pray with someone, come and disclose it with someone, say, hey, I'm wrestling how to serve God. I'm wrestling how to fulfill my calling. I'm wrestling how to get unstuck. I'm wrestling how to stop spinning my wheels. Hey, make a time with us. We'll journey with you. We'll we'll talk with you. We'll, We'll do it together. I pray for you, my friend, for the grace of God to overshadow your life today. I pray for those of you who've only viewed the church as an institution, an institution, a a human organization struggling and plotting and scheming and planning. And quite often, many in this room have probably been hurt by the church, may have been hurt by this one. But I pray, my friends, that you would put on your Bible glasses And through the lens of Scripture, you would see that you're not in a church. You're here as a church. You are part of the people of God with a holy calling and a holy citizenship and a sacred trust to be those who bring the kingdom of of heaven to planet earth. I pray for you, my friend. I pray God would give you fresh eyes to see and fresh ears to hear what His Spirit is saying to us as a church. A fresh passion in your heart to serve others and to be a force for justice and love and healing and the gospel. Here's my last group I want to pray for. I pray for those who've never said a conscious yes to the offer of the gospel message. And Jesus made it very clear. Every single one of us must turn to God, turn away from wherever we've been going to, wherever we've been coming from and turn to Him and say, Jesus, I want to take your yoke upon my shoulders. I want to become a follower of yours. Make me a child of God. And the Bible says when we do that, when we turn to God, He makes us members of His new creation, members of His family. And it's a work of His Spirit, not just a work of your will. But you need to be humble and say, God, I turn to you. My answer is yes to you today. I pray for you in this room, my friend, if you have never said yes to the gospel before, or maybe you did once, but you haven't been walking with Jesus because stuff happened and you walked away. But you know God is calling you home today. I pray for you, my brother, my sister. I pray that today, You would in your own heart draw that line and say, God, I'm coming home. God, my answer is yes to the gospel. I pray for you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.